Hello, my name is Steve D'Agostino, and my co-host Anne Fernald and I welcome you to the Twice Over podcast, because to teach is to learn twice over. In this episode, Assessment and Accessibility, we are joined by Mary Burns, the Director of the Office of Disability Services at Fordham University, who shares her thoughts about the various issues instructors should consider when assessing students online. What is the Office of Disability Services and and what do you do? Colleges and universities are required to provide reasonable accommodations to students based on the American Disabilities Act of 1990 and Title II of ADA. Additionally, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 prohibits any program receiving federal financial assistance from discriminating against an individual because of his or her disability. Therefore, we, our office is there to try to make everything accessible to everyone, as long as it's reasonable. If I'm a student who needs an accommodation, what do I do? Do I just talk to my instructor? Do I come to your office? We have an application online. Students can complete it and then give us a call or they could just email one of us and we will schedule an intake. Usually we don't do intakes after April 30th once the finals are coming, but this semester we are. And then we would send the letter to the professors just like we do usually. And if a professor has a question, they can call us. Although we do tell students they should give their accommodation letter at the beginning of a semester, it's not the law. So some students, they don't invoke their accommodations until the middle of the semester or until right before finals because they've forgotten and they haven't needed them. They haven't needed them so far. All of a sudden now, a lot of kids have just invoked their accommodations in the past three weeks. As long as it's timely, the the professors will have enough time to give the student the extra time or whatever it is, however they're presenting this test, then they really need to go ahead and do that. And, And even students, like I said, who are not registered with our office are having all sorts of issues. So I think the more, the less restrictive you can be on your exam by giving maybe some extra time or making it untimed or whatever, it's not just students with disabilities. There are students who are in different time zones. There are students with poor connectivity. There are students who are just in home situations where they may have six people living in a two bedroom apartment. And now everyone's home because people aren't working or they have little siblings and their parents are working. You know, people are in all different categories at Fordham. Some students may be a little they don't want to come forward and say to their professor, listen, I live in a two bedroom apartment with six people and it's really hard for me to get this done in one hour. So there are a lot of students out there who are in that predicament, whether we realize it or not, but there are lots of people are in a predicament with connectivity for a multitude of reasons. Just last week we had, um, we had that crazy storm And people lost internet, uh, people lost electricity. So then what happened? If I were to come to you as a faculty member and say, Mary, I've got a bunch of students with accommodations. I'm trying to write an exam. What are three or four things that I should be sure and do to make sure my students have a chance to demonstrate what they've learned without setting up obstacles for them that are unnecessary? First and foremost is the format of the exam. A one-page display is 
the best because students can look at it and they can assess where they're going to start first. Some people are stronger writers and they want to do the essay first. Some people, they like to get the multiple choice out of the way. A lot of students, most students are going to plan their time based on what they see on an exam. If you don't present the whole exam to them, they don't have a chance to do that planning. I mean, think about it. If you were teaching the class this semester, would you be giving them the exam on paper? Most likely, yes. This is a whole new learning experience for students. And to take an exam and make it that much more, it makes it so much more difficult if they can't see it for planning purposes. The other reason it's important is because of time. To go back and forth, if you are allowed to backtrack, it's so much time for, you know, you're on number 40 and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait. I realized number 20 is wrong and you go to back and it has to reload all over again. The answers have to reload. It's time consuming. So students have been coming to my office saying that they're not being able to finish exams. That's normally not the case with them. Another thing would be that students need to, to have some more flexibility with the testing types, how they're timed. A less restrictive exam would be better. What I mean by less restrictive, I mean make it a take-home exam, a take-home exam where students have maybe 48 hours, maybe 72 hours to complete it. I've also had students say that it's hard to type the essay right there on the computer, and it would be nice if it wasn't timed that they could actually maybe put down an outline somewhere or, or just, you know, write an introduction somewhere and doing it on the computer and then trying to type it on there. Some, some of the kids, even though they've grown up with computers, some of them are not, I mean, I can type because I took typing in high school. My mother told me it would be a lifelong skill and uh, she was correct. So a lot of these students haven't been formally taught how to type. So some of them, I mean, I just not really, effective with time. It's nice if, if it's possible to give an essay that you have, if you're giving essays that you have a couple days to complete. The College Board is doing all the AP tests are open book, open note, 45 yeah. minutes. And one of the things that they've said is, you know, look, you can look at your notes, but there are, we've given you so many questions Right, and they're all document-based questions, so they're doing right. all short essays. Yep. You can't effectively <laughs> Google the answers. We've changed the way of assessing so that, yeah, sure, you can Google it, mm-hmm. but that's actually not going to lead to your success. So that's a that's kind of sounds like very similar to what you're describing, Mary, is thinking about kinds of assessment that take into account the temptation that we'll have when we're in an online yeah. environment you know, Google something. And if if you have a test that's not entirely fact-based, but a little bit more about synthesizing facts, organizing facts, then it doesn't really matter if someone's Googled the dates of a president's administration or a war or Googled a mathematical formula. They need to be able to apply it. I would just jump in and add a couple of points about working with a physical document, which you can mark up 
it's not only that I can't click back to question 20, yep. I might not remember that it was question 20. 100%. It was a similar question in one of these previous 40 questions. And I right. need to hunt for that question now. Everybody just has to keep in mind that neither the students nor the professor signed up for this. So I think we need to be have some empathy on both sides. The students, though, they're really having they're really having a tough time. Technically, right? You're supposed to present the accommodation to the faculty yes. member at the beginning of the term, and that's right. when the accommodation comes into effect. That's the law, yes. right? But mm -hmm. then there's what we do at Fordham in terms of cura personalis, right? Yes. And in terms mm -hmm. of trying to be accommodating. Yeah. And then there's the pandemic, and there's the fact that we, right. as you said. We mm -hmm. didn't sign up for this and our students didn't sign up for this. So right. when you have a situation where a faculty member comes to you and says, all of a sudden someone has come to me and they're claiming not to be able to do it um, or they're claiming this is harder for them. Mm -hmm. What are the modifications that you would recommend professors put in place? What kind of compassion do you advocate and why is it important for us to think that way? Well, I have spoken to my office. We have spoken to probably 150 professors, deans, advisors um, in, in the past month, with the exception of one. Everyone has been absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Like, I can't say enough about how great the faculty have been responding. So I've talked to faculty about, I mean, some students have come and said, like, they, they wanted to take medical leaves of absence because they are just so, they were just so overwhelmed by, maybe some of them weren't doing great at midterms and then this happened and now they they felt absolutely hopeless. I can't tell you how many kids, I was like, no, 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 let me talk to your professors and let's see before you make any rash decisions. So I spoke to, we all spoke to a multitude of professors and some of the things we've come up with were giving, in, in a couple of cases we've, said, let's give the student an, incom an incomplete if he or she needs the incomplete at the end of the semester. Let's try to go for it. So we're looking at like, which class are you having the most difficulty with? And let me see if I can talk to this professor about getting you an incomplete for this one class. So you can maybe put all of your attention to that class after the other ones are done. Some professors agree to let a student have until like two days before the grades are due, which I think the grades, so they're giving them, you know, an extra 10 days to get their work done. So for one student, actually two of his classes, he's doing okay. And the other two, um, the one professor said he could have an incomplete. The other one gave him the extra 10 days. So he's getting these extensions and they're not like, all right, you get a two day extension. They're like, okay, if you can do this, get this done. Some professors are, I've just seen that professors have scaled back on a lot of the things that they've been giving to begin with. They've scaled back on their papers instead of being eight to 10 pages, they're now five to seven pages. They've really been, we've been very creative. We've worked together really well. I'm thinking back, I've never taken a test online. It's such a change because this is a totally different way that he or she has been tested. And this is exactly what's happening right now. 
I don't think most students are being able to perform the way they would normally perform. Not saying all, but many. You know, what Anne was saying before is really trying to reconceptualize what tests are for. Is it to provide a certain kind of feedback to students about their performance? I think part of the stress students are feeling is that they don't know how to be in an online class. They don't know what behaviors are effective. What makes me a good student in an online course? There's an absence of the typical kinds of feedback they would get in a face-to-face course. Much harder to build or sustain a relationship with your instructor in the absence of before and after course conversations that are just informal and emergent. And so maybe there are ways to to rethink what assessment means and and what it's for, especially in, in a situation like, okay, we went online weeks ago and the only performance feedback I'm going to get in this two month period, perhaps, <laughs> is the high stakes exam, mm-hmm. an environment I've never tested in before. I know that in a short period of time, it's not feasible to reconceptualize the entire final. I would, I guess, urge contemplation of what are other ways of supplementing that one data point, the final mm-hmm. exam other kinds of assessments and other kinds of evaluation and what opportunities can we give to the students to demonstrate that their competence and their learning. Right, right. If you're going to be flexible, if you're going to be empathetic, this is the semester to do it. But I'm just thinking about some of these classes that I still know that there are a number of classes where the students have a midterm and a final and they haven't changed it. Like that's it. They just have their midterm and then they have their final. I just feel like that's unfortunate. It's it's going to be really awful for those students who that's what their whole grade is determined by. Are we evaluating the students based on this standard that I came up with based on the conditions under which we began the course. These are the conditions, and this is in my mind what an A looks like. The learning conditions have changed, the testing conditions have changed. And so it seems reasonable to me that we would reevaluate or reflect upon how we are assessing the students under these changed conditions. What have we learned about teaching and learning and accommodations and accessibility as a result of going through all of this together, mm-hmm. where we as instructors have had to relearn or reconceptualize how we do our work in a new environment. And maybe right. when we find ourselves struggling, mm-hmm. it gives us some empathy around some of the struggles of students in, in this. Right. Right. So what does that make us think? What do you hope, Mary? we will come away with, what insights do you hope that we will carry forward into into the fall and into the spring of, of, you know, going forward as a result of this shared experience? Most students want to succeed. That's why they're there. Um, And most students are putting in effort to succeed. I hope that professors can think about the conversations that my office has had with them and conversations students have had with them 
and realize that sometimes no matter how much a student wants to succeed, sometimes there are barriers in the way. I think people need to understand that these are real things. And most of the time people do prior to this, but sometimes people don't. And I think they need to realize that most students, if they're at a school like Fordham, are there because they want an education. And they most of them are not choosing not to learn or not to engage. They, they really, they wanna do well, but there's sometimes there are things in the way that are just setting up a barrier for them not to perform as well as they normally would. I think that's what we have to realize that sometimes there's barriers that a student cannot um, overcome and that we should all try to work together, whether it's a disability or just something else. And we should all try to work together. We're all on the same page. We, we all want the students to succeed. And that doesn't mean we have to lower the standard, but sometimes we have to be flexible with it. It seems in this conversation that we have been interrogating this idea of ability-disability as a dichotomy rather than a continuum. I'm thinking about our former colleague Ariel Fishman's TED Talk and the talk he gave in the Duane Library at Fordham about the idea that we are all differently abled and that there is no state of perfect ability. If we think about that, it'll maybe activate our compassion and empathy a bit. That's what's, what's called for. Instructors mm -hmm. reach out to me for technical workarounds, but most of these issues are not, they're not technological, really. They are instructional and I would say moral in our current circumstances. Thank you for your time. Twice Over Podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, with new episodes appearing twice each week. For host and guest bios and show notes, please visit our website, twiceoverpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twiceover1 or email us at twiceoverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.